Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hi, hi, hi. It's episode 31, and today we have the biggest ask with intended mom, MJ, and surrogate, Ashley. And um, today we're going to talk about surrogacy, but with a twist. So today we're lucky enough to have both an intended parent and a surrogate to tackle all of your questions about surrogacy. So we start from the surrogate process um, from start to finish, and then we talk about some of the challenges of navigating this relationship. I mean, there are a lot of intricacies in building this really special supportive relationship. And we talk about some of those challenges today. And there are, you know, different um, viewpoints on what the relationship should look like or what support looks like. So we kind of talk about that. It, it really is unique to however you and your surrogate um, kind of make that relationship to be. So um, we kind of talk about how to navigate that. Um, and I, I think it's really cool to have um, both a surrogate and an intended parent to tackle some of these questions together because we get both points of view. And I think that's really important to share. I don't think often, although I could be wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think often we get to see that where we get to see both sides. I mean, most of the time, you know, intended parents will talk to mostly intended parents and surrogates will talk to surrogates. But, you know, this way we can kind of mix it up and we can kind of hear both sides and really understand um, those perspectives. So I think that's really important. So I'm really, really grateful to have both of them here today. I do have other episodes about surrogacy. So you can check out episode 15 with Monica of at Waiting for Baby Wonder and episode 17 with at Christina Wang DMD to learn more about their surrogacy journeys um, as intended parents. So they share their stories um, and how they found their surrogates and what their relationship with their surrogates were like um, or are are like. And um, so that's, I, I think, an important perspective to hear as well. Just different um, versions, different relationships, um, and different ways people support each other, I think is important to share. We also have a brief discussion about legal considerations in episode 27 with Rijan Charney, who's a fertility-focused fertility attorney. Um, so that's another great episode to catch to kind of round out your uh, surrogacy information bundle. <laughs> um, as always, you guys know the drill. Drop me a five-star review if you dug this episode. Leave a written review. I'd so appreciate it. It would help get these episodes into more ears and help more people navigate this crazy roller coaster ride of infertility. Um, it's hard enough. Sometimes it's nice to know you're not alone and to know that you have support out there and a place where you can get information. So I'd be so, so grateful. Um, continue to contact me and reach out to me on Instagram with any suggestions for future episodes, um, things you'd like to hear about, guests you want to have on the show. Um, I'll do my best to um, get them on. I am a one-man band, <laughs> so I don't, I just do this alone um, uh, in my spare time. So um, I'll do the best I can, but I still would love to hear suggestions and anything you guys um, can offer to help make this a better space for you. Um, okay, so um, I think we covered all the bases, so let's get to it. Oh, 
Just a quick reminder, I am not a physician, and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique, and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Today we have Ashley and MJ from The Biggest Ask here to talk about sur- surrogacy. Thank you so much for being here, you guys. Oh Hi. my god, I'm so excited. I'm yes. excited. I don't yes. want to speak for Ashley, but... <laughs> I'm excited too. <laughs> I know she is. Well, I think this is like a really unique uh, conversation to have with both of you here because we can tackle some of the questions that come up. I mean, it's hard for an intended parent to speak for a surrogate. It's hard for a surrogate to speak for an intended parent. So to have both points of view, I think, for certain questions is really great. And then just to have your own experiences with being either a surrogate or intended parent because I'm sure there's tons of questions that you guys get and we could talk about that stuff too about the stuff that comes across for you guys. And I think, too, um, some of the emotional conversations that um, people maybe aren't having out loud, like maybe they're having them internally. But I think that's important to share, too, so that maybe there's an understanding between both surrogates and intended parents. And we can certainly do a deep dive into that today. (laughs) So let's start Let's start easy. <laughs> Let's start with kind of your guys' story. So maybe MJ, we can start with you. How did you kind of come to this space? How did you come to your surrogacy journey? Um, sure. So in 2019, um, I was pregnant with my first son, Luca, and um, it was a pretty terrible pregnancy in terms of I felt bad. I had hyperemesis. And um, Other than that, it was pretty uneventful until we started um, going for the anatomy scan. So when I went for the anatomy scan around 20 weeks, he was measuring pretty small, which is pretty surprising because my husband is like 6'4", and I'm 5'7". So we're not shorter people. So, um, but nobody was really alarmed. It was just like, oh, you know, you know, babies can be all types of sizes. And um, so why don't you come back like, like four weeks later. Um, And then four weeks later I went in and it turned out that he was even smaller. And so it was like, he was measuring less than 1% of all babies. And then still the OBGYN was like, oh, um, that's kind of weird, but like, let's not worry. Like, okay, again, it's still this idea that babies are all all different sizes. Um, But then she was like, let's just do a, uh, let's just do another type of ultrasound where they measure the blood flow between the placenta and the fetus just to see if he's like um, getting the blood supply. And then um, when we did that, uh, fortunately we were able to get that done the day of because I don't really know how, you know, it was very immediate. And then they noticed that, this is a very long story for how I got surgery. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> um, they noticed that the blood supply was only going in one direction. It wasn't really going the other direction. So they it found like they found that there was an issue um, with my placenta. And it's just um, so when that happened, they were like, okay, um, pack your bags, you're going to the hospital tonight. 
like that's pretty much all they told me and I was like okay like it was just a very like what the hell is going on like and you just go from like nothing to being like you're gonna go to the hospital no idea how long I'm gonna go like no nobody had any answers for me so it's and I was still not scared I was like okay um this is kind of weird but so I went home packed my bags went to the hospital and then even in the hospital I didn't have like a good sense of how long or what was going on and then um Maybe I'm going to speed up the story. No, no, take your time. There is no time limit. Time I decided to give the extended version. No, (laughs) please do. Please do. I'm just, yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, so then I was there and then, you know, I asked the question and then one of the residents kind of hesitant, like he told me in a hesitant way, yeah, you're going to be here in the hospital for pretty much the rest of your pregnancy. And I was like 25 weeks and I was like, what? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> wait, what? I'm going to be like stuck here. And um, anyway, I'm going to fast forward now. It ended up not being the, the rest. I mean, it was just about a week. And then um, they kept measuring. They kept making sure that Luca was fine. Um, and he wasn't, but there's like this fine line between, you know, you take the baby out and that's not a good environment. Mm-hmm. Like the NICU is still not in a situation where they can, you know, replicate a uterus perfectly. Mm-hmm. So he's still better in utero, but like, at what point do we take him out? And he was really at this fine line because there's, there's a 24 week mark where after 24 weeks, the chances of survival go up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but before, so they were really trying to play with that and like try to play with his size and everything. And they were just really hoping for the right moment. And at one point they decided it was the right moment. Um, and by that time, I, my blood pressure had spiked. And so I was officially diagnosed with preeclampsia, mm-hmm. but they didn't really know that before because my blood pressure had not reached that, that super high point where they do, mm-hmm. but they had a, they had an idea that I was suffering from preeclampsia. Um, and so they decided to take him out, um, through a C-section and, um, he did pretty well at first. Like he was, uh, he was, he passed whatever test that they, they have. I'm not really sure. And they brought him to the NICU and, um, you know, it was an incredible roller coaster. Um, we had a good day. We had, we had a, you know, fine. At first it was a fine day. Then it went back down a little bit. Then we had a good day. And on that good day, I was able to hold him with all the wires and everything. Um, and then right after that, it just went downhill from there. And then at some point they were like, there's nothing we can do. Um, so, um, I don't know. They don't suggest that they, you know, it's totally up to you to take your baby off life support, but when they're doing everything that they can and he's like on, like they are supplying everything to him and he's not getting any better. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just made the decision to, um, to stop everything. And then, um, yeah. So then we lost our baby. Mm-hmm. And then, um, when I was, you know, then the, the second phase comes in, it's like, why did this happen? What, you know, why? And they go through all the crazy things. Um, and um, they did a chromosome test on him. They did like a DNA analysis just to like 
see if there was something yeah. wrong and there was nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, they said basically, you know, if you're to get pregnant again, you have preeclampsia so early. Mm -hmm. um, and then they took also, they also took a look at my placenta. Like there was something, they found something called like a maternal floor infarct. It's a really weird name. It's mm -hmm. like, in, yeah, it's like a really weird, like, um, and they don't know much about it because it's pretty rare to have like a placenta that like, just looks off. Mm -hmm. But they said that the chances of it reoccurring are, are relatively high. Mm -hmm. And so, like, what does relatively high mean? Like, it, it just right. doesn't sound great. Like, it, yeah. it sounds like there's a good chance that this will happen again. Yeah. And so, with that information, mm -hmm. here, we decided, okay, um, it's not safe for me and it's not safe for our mental health. I mean, it's not safe really for anybody mm -hmm. um, for me to get pregnant again. Mm -hmm. um, so, that's what led us to surrogacy, mm -hmm. that whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the surrogate part. Mm -hmm. And then the Instagram part came a little bit later. Mm -hmm. The Instagram, I don't know if that was your... Yeah, keep going. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Just keep going, girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so then I went through the surrogacy part of like, okay, what does that even mean? Like, how do you find a surrogate? Like, blah, blah. And it's all about Google here. So you just Google and just see and then you see that, okay, agencies are the ones that like really help with that. And then you call agencies and then you, then you start learning about the agency fees. Oh, they're charging for the first agency I called, they were charging $40,000 just to use them. And that's not even covering the surrogate compensation, which is an additional, at that time it was like 35 ish. And then I was like, oh, weird. And sorry, what part of the country are you in? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm in the U.S. Yeah. This is U.S. So all of this I'm talking about. Oh, and I'm sorry. I'm in uh, Missouri. Okay. But the surrogacy agencies can be really much anywhere. And I think the agency that I called was based in Chicago. Okay. Um, and they're talking about, oh, we have this, like, and then when they were talking about the services they had, they were, they were like, talking about, oh, we have this special match program. We're like, you know, we interview you, we interview these women, and then like we try to see like who, what's the best fit. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna marry this person. Like, yeah. it's not like a very chemistry. She's going to carry my child. I'm going to love her. Yeah. So like, why do I need to pay like this extra fluff? I don't, you know, like I, it just seemed really weird to me, and I just felt like it was like a, a weird selling, marketing ploy. Um, so I kept going, I kept going and I, I mean, there were a lot of agencies and I interviewed some that like just cost like $10,000 to use them and I liked them a lot. And then it was just like a lot of, a lot of different things. And throughout this process, I just felt like people were just asking me for my money. Like they just were just more interested in like, it didn't seem authentic. It didn't really seem like they cared about me or they cared about my situation very much. They were just, um, very... It was just weird. Mm -hmm. So then, um, as I learned more and more and more, I was like, oh, I don't need an agency. Like, this doesn't really seem right. Um, we can do it ourselves because it doesn't seem like it's that complicated to navigate. Um, and I'm really going to make this part of the story short. We did find a surrogate independently. We were pretty far, uh, far along with her. And then um, she ended up getting pregnant with her own child and said, so she couldn't be our surrogate. That 
was really the icing of the cake that was 2019 where we lost the baby. Like we, that was the same year and I was just like gutted. Like it was, it really, really hurt me. So then I was like, okay, all right, let's just go back to the agency. Cause you know, I just had this idea that it wouldn't work with agents. That, that scenario would not have worked with agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went back to the agency. I had found one that was like reasonably priced like 20,000 ish. They had a surrogate, they had one in the St. Louis area. And that was pretty important for my husband. I mean, we wanted to be involved. We wanted to make the appointments. Like we wanted to mm-hmm. be supportive as much as, as we can, because, you know, we've got, we know that pregnancies can go wrong. And we know that sh- our surrogate is risking her body and her potentially her life. It's a relatively low risk, mm-hmm. but still, and like we understand the gravity of the situation of using another woman's body. And so we want to respect that as much as possible. And we wanted to show as much support as we could. So, um, so it was perfect. And that's why we went to the agency. And, um, and at the, around the same time, I was like, you know what? I want to share my knowledge. Like, I, I feel like I've, I've learned a lot throughout this process. I feel like I can um, disseminate that information effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so that people could like easily learn it because I teach, I teach accounting for my job. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was like, why don't I try to use my skill sets to like, try to educate other people about the technicalities of a surrogacy journey. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why I really started the account is I really want to document, like, these are all the stats. These are all the X, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F steps that you need to think about to protect yourself, to make sure. And like, you don't need to pay an agency $40,000, just follow these steps. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started the Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Well, no, no, I, I want to thank you for sharing that story. I knew that it's difficult to kind of recount some of that stuff. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Okay. I mean, you know, I think all of us kind of get into this space where we are doing whatever we're doing out of many different reasons. You know, like I started the podcast really out of anger <laughs> because <laughs> I you know, felt like there wasn't much to kind of what you're saying. There's not a lot of information out there, or I feel like, you know, maybe some of the stuff that's out there, we're not covering the stuff that people talk about quietly. Like, you know, the stuff that you say, like, like you, your experience, like we don't necessarily talk about that and how that feels and what that does to us. So we all do this kind of suffer in silence thing where we don't talk about it. And don't get me wrong. I'm not comfortable talking about it either. I don't talk to a lot of my friends about it. Because it's still like somewhat taboo. But I think when we take all of these experiences and put them out there and talk about them out loud, we give other people permission to do that. And not that they need our permission, but I think that they feel more empowered to have these conversations out loud and to talk about things like surrogacy. Because that is, I mean, like as a woman, sometimes it feels like, you know, uh, uh, during this whole like infertility thing. Um, and for you, it's not necessarily that you're infertile. It's you, you have some other issues that make it difficult for you to carry a pregnancy to term. And for me, I just can't make a normal embryo. Like I just can't do it. It feels like a lot of power has been taken away from us. It feels like Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, I don't know what the right word is. I mean, I just feel like uh, everything's kind of been taken away from us and we just, um, that takes away kind of what we think, which is a silly thing to think, um, like 
what women should be like women should be able to carry your baby to term we should be able to protect a, a comfortable safe environment for a baby and i should be able to make a freaking embryo right like i should be able right. to have a normal egg so that i could get pregnant because people do it at like 45 without a problem and i was 38 and i was having a hard time you know so uh, I think it's important and I'm so grateful that you're sharing your story um, with us today about your experience and then also creating something like this so other people who are going through this experience have someone that they know they're not alone they can turn to so thank you for doing that and oh no thank you yeah (laughs) and Ashley so your experience is obviously different and how you arrived to your space so can we hear your story and how you kind of like your your journey and then kind of how you got into surrogacy Sure. Um, So I thought about surrogacy a lot, even when I was younger. I'm the oldest of six kids, so I've just always loved kids and babies. I've always been baby crazy. So I always like I heard about surrogacy on actually friends from Phoebe carrying um, her brother's kids. Oh, yeah. Um, And I was pretty young, so obviously it was not like in my head at that point. But I was like, that's pretty cool. Like I want I want to do that someday. Um, fast forward, I was married and had a daughter pretty young. Um, and then, um, I'm now remarried, um, and we're in a same sex marriage, my wife and I. And so we obviously needed to have a sperm donor in order to have our second child. Um, and so we had a close friend who offered to be our sperm donor and we had our son and he was like three months old and I was holding him and I was just like a puddle, like I wouldn't have him if it weren't for the generosity of somebody else and the gift that they gave us. Um, And I want to help other people have a family and whoever wants a baby so badly should be able to have a baby. And that very second I went online and I signed up to be a surrogate. Um, Mm -hmm. And my journey progressed pretty quickly for my first journey. And I started sharing about it on Instagram because my intended fathers lived in Switzerland And Mm so um, I wanted a page where their family and friends could go to see where, you know, Mm. where the baby, like how the journey was going. And then my family and friends could also see it all in one spot. Um, And they called, they had me in their phone as hope um, because I was their hope of having a a family. And so that's why surrogacy of hope became my name on, on Instagram. But MJ reached out to me one day, um, about being featured as her surrogate of the month. And um, we just kind of stayed a little bit connected throughout each other's journeys. And then um, one day she asked me if I'd be interested in working with her. And I like stood up and screamed at the top of my lungs. And I was like telling my wife, like, she wants me to help her. And I love this. And I think we were both crying when I replied. She's like, this makes me happy. I was so scared about what you were gonna say. Um, And, you know, it's just kind of progressed from there like um we hear a lot that people like hearing both sides and both point of views of um the surrogacy journey and so um I'm just very thankful that MJ gave me that space and that I'm able to be a part of that community and hopefully starting a second journey myself soon so yeah that's kind of my path to surrogacy and then the biggest ass yeah well I mean was the first surrogate of the month Oh. I was. She didn't mention. She yeah. She forgot to mention that she was the first one. <laughs> I didn't. Or she, I used to do. I used to do surrogate of the week. So whenever oh. I was actually actively going through the surrogacy journey, I would feature a surrogate every week. Like I would reach out and see, like, can we like hear your story? Why you did it? Why you did this? Yeah. And she was my first one. Oh, 
And I went back to my um, posts um, and I looked at the first one and Ashley liked it. Like she's been like, she's been, she's been an OG, like ever since (laughs) my first post. And she was, she was already a follower. It was amazing. I loved following her journey, like for lots of reasons. And I loved that she was educating and not just like sharing her own journey. She was educating what other people could expect. And then I loved watching for MJ and Seth's first journey, they cooked a lot of meals for their surrogate and would deliver them to her. And so it was always on their stories, like what they were making her that week and what they were delivering that week. And I loved seeing what they were like making her and bringing her because I thought that was the sweetest like gesture for her. I did make some good recipes. There were some really good recipes. (laughs) There was some good food on there. (laughs) Well, I kind of want to talk about this too. I want to talk about like the relationships and stuff like that. I know MJ, you talked a little bit about this earlier. You were saying like, oh, you know, no matter who it is, I'm going to love them because they're providing such a big, important, you know, piece of, you know, your parenthood. And so let's talk a little bit about once we get to that surrogacy space where we say, okay, where people tell us, look, the reality is you may or may not be able to carry your own pregnancy. You may need help. So what happens after that? Like, what should people be thinking? What should people be doing once they get that message? Because there's a few things that happen, and I'm sure for you too, emotionally, probably, some things occurred too to process that information and then once you get to that point moving forward from there what do you do so i can only speak with my own experience and i know that there is a a large a very large group of women who when they hear that they either shouldn't or can't or anything it is it is a a very heavy thing to process um for me it wasn't that hard. I mean, I hated being pregnant. So I was like, cool. I don't want to be pregnant anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still a part of me that was like, I'm, I'm kind of competitive, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in a weird way. Um, but I was just like, oh, but I want to try. I had like a very fleeting moment where I was like, I want to try again. Mm-hmm. But it was just a very, I mean, it was very fleeting and I got over it really quick because it was just a petty kind of uh, mm-hmm. feeling that I had for myself that, mm-hmm. oh, you know, everyone everyone else can do it. Why can't I do it? Um, but for me, it was pretty, it felt like a really nice option mm-hmm. just because my pregnancy was just, um, it took, it just drained me of my own life for six months. So I just didn't have any want to like, do that again. Yeah. Um, I have nothing to prove to anybody. Like, you know, I, I was kind of like, you know what? I, I bring so much to, the, I, I bring other things to the table. I just Absolutely. don't bring carrying a child as one of them. And that's perfectly fine. Like I, you know, so, um, I didn't, it, it was not a big process for me. Um, I also did not grow up wanting kids. Like that was not a dream of mine. I had not, you know, I, I never thought I actually wanted kids. Um, so, it was, it was fairly easy for me to get over that. And I, but I know, but I know, I mean, I, I talked to a ton of intended moms that it is really hard. It is a really hard, um, it's hard for them to process it. And almost sometimes, um, therapy and things like that to cope with the idea of another woman carrying your baby. Um, I think it takes time for them to get to that point of being like, I can accept this. I can support another woman in this process of carrying my child instead of feeling 
I mean, there's always probably going to be jealousy. Obviously, I'm not an intended Mm. parent, Mm -hmm. so I can't speak Mm -hmm. to that. But I feel like in some aspects, there's going to be jealousy. There's going to be a little bit of resentment. Like, why can she do this? And I can't. But Mm -hmm. I feel like they oftentimes they get to a place where those feelings are more on the back burner. And the ones Mm -hmm. of like, I can support you. I can be involved in this process with you. I can come to appointments. I can appreciate you and not Mm -hmm. just feel resentment. But I don't mm-hmm. think that those feelings for every woman go away totally. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that it's really important for surrogates to remember that when caring for an intended mom. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't have that my first journey because I had intended fathers. And so they obviously knew they were never going to be able to carry. Yes. But it's something I'm learning that I feel like it's surrogates need to hold that space if they have an intended mom that include like you know i also think there are some surrogates who won't carry for someone who they don't think is fully ready because you have to be able to support your surrogate too otherwise you could really hurt the surrogate yeah but also surrogates have to somewhat understand where the intended mom is coming from and give her space to be able to feel those things too it's Mm -hmm. it's a big i mean it's there's never going to (laughs) be one solid answer for everyone because everyone is so different but yeah Well, I definitely want to come back to that because I think that's an important thing to talk about when we start talking about once that kind of match occurs and the questions that come up and who should ask, you know, what and those. So, like, hang on to that thought, Ashley. Don't let me forget. (laughs) Like we were talking about earlier. Oh, I sometimes will forget. Oh, excellent. (laughs) Yes. See, I love this. Okay, great. So we'll come back to that, Ashley, for sure. Okay. So. MJ, you you decided or you, you, you guys came to the conclusion that you guys needed help in building your family. So what happens after that? You had mentioned earlier you had like considered doing an independent journey, you had doing like an agency. What's the difference? Why, why one over the other? And what is the benefit? So the agency is really good for um, for many different things. They're they're kind of like an intermediary. So Kind of the touchiest part of a journey, I would say, is probably the legal contract phase where you talk about compensation, talk about the things that are just like, uh, because no one's really comfortable with talking about money. Like, yeah. you know, you, it's, it's an uncomfortable situation for intended parents to be like, okay, we're going to, we're going to pay you this amount. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what if it's not enough for her? What, you know, it's just kind of a weird situation. So agencies are really nice. Um, to kind of be that buffer where with a lot of agencies, it varies, but some agencies will have like, this is our agency. This is how much our surrogates compensated like across the board, but it's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And, and surrogates either agree or disagree with that kind of uh, compensation structure. Um, and then the agency tells the IPs, the intended parents, look, this is how much, you know, these are how things are going to cost. And then intended parents just accept or not. And so that's kind of a nice, like, um, bridging point between the between the two. Um, Hold on, and then there. and the cost. Hang on, and the cost. Um, what's covered? Like yeah. attorneys' fees, the the <sighs> the fees for the surrogates, right? Like what what's involved in the cost? Okay, so there's many different costs here. So if you're using an agency, 
there's this agency fee of actually using the agency. So let's just say that's like 25 grand. I'm mm-hmm. just going to throw out a number. Like just for them to exist, for, their, for them to just be there. Just for them to exist yes. and just for them to match you with a surrogate. Okay. Yeah. Right? So that's that. Then you have the surrogate compensation. And when I talk about the legal contracts, that's what I'm talking about. Like okay. basically the contract um, about how the surrogate will be compensated. And in that... You have her like usually it's like a monthly uh, allowance. Allow uh, there's a monthly allowance, and then there is the the compensation that I mean it did changes. Sometimes they'll be compensated I don't know by every month or like trimester. I don't I, it just changes. Then you have all these other things about what happens, how much does she get compensated or reimbursed? I actually like the term reimbursed better yeah. because it's like a reimbursement of their their time, their body, whatever. But like, I think we might be getting too tight, whatever. Uh, miscarriage. <laughs> Maternity I mean, clothes. Yes. C-section. Um, if lots of reproductive organs. Um, there's um, breast, usually breast pumping. Or if you're like pumping, you get paid a certain amount per week reimbursement oh, okay. for the breast pump itself. Um, yeah, there's like a whole category where they break down if any of these instances happen. Multiples, if you have multiples or carry multiples, you get an extra like five to seventy five hundred dollars, five thousand mm-hmm. to seventy five hundred. Mm-hmm. And 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 actually, so those like those are pretty easy, I think. But then you start thinking about like childcare, like what happens if she's on bed rest. Yeah. Now the intended parents have to start paying her. They have to, they have to recompensate her for. She's not able to work, so yeah. she's missing out on work money. Now it's on the intended parents to cover that. Yeah. And how work, long would you cover it for? Childcare, housekeeping. And so those are the things that sometimes get a little bit touchy because you know, may, sometimes the intended parents want to protect themselves a little bit. Like, okay, well, we'll pay for like you know, maybe six weeks of like not working. Mm-hmm. But then maybe the story is like, well, you know, I still won't get paid. Like, I, what yeah. if I don't, like, what if I'm on bed rest for 12 weeks? Like, what? Yeah. So I'm going to, so it's like a lot, and, it, and it's like, it's not a, it, it's a hard discussion. It's really, really hard. And then you start like, if you don't have an agency involved and it's like, and you're speaking through the lawyers, which lawyers never make anything like better. Easy, like it's yes. always just, yeah, it's just so much colder when you introduce a lawyer. Yeah. But like, you're, then you start getting the sense like, oh, wait, you know, is this her, is she doing this for us? Is she really just after the month? Like you start getting these other yeah. thoughts. Um, and on, on the same side, like the surrogate also feels like she's being exploited. Like, right. well, you know, so the agency, I think a good agency and many agencies don't do this. Uh, but a good agency would help navigate that. Wait, are we still on? I, I forget what the question was. <laughs> That's okay. What's included it's, when What's included yes. when you sign up with an agency? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay, great. So I yes. yes, yes. They help manage this this process. Yeah. And like, if anything, if there's any conflict, like, what if? So let's say the contracts are signed, everyone's in agreement. Like, what happens if um, the intended parents of the surrogate just never respond to a message that is sent mm-hmm. by the you know, the agency gets involved and is like, hey, why aren't you? It's just nice to have a third party, like, you know, kind of mediating the relationship. And it's really valuable. And it can be more valuable to some people than it is to others. Um, and I feel like it's usually and, more valuable to the surrogate than the intended parents, usually. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that. Absolutely. Because like they, they schedule kind of all of our appointments them. and uh, make sure that, like, they coordinate our whole journey, basically, or they're supposed to. So if, it, mm-hmm. if it's a good agency, they will 
let you know when your appointments are. They'll never let you have to worry about insurance or making an appointment, setting the time. They'll send you reminders. Like that's kind of how like they, I mean, they are there for the intended parents, but I feel like once the surrogate's involved, it's like they really focus on the surrogate. Uh And all of this stuff is discussed ahead of time, right? In theory, there shouldn't be any surprises from a good agency. All this stuff should be as much as you can. I know it's hard to predict things, but all of these things should usually be discussed ahead of time, right? Before you kind of jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there should be, but I mean, they don't control, you know what I mean? Like they, they match surrogates and intended parents, but they don't actually have control over anybody. Yeah. So like people can act in whatever way they want at any point in time. And the agency is really limited in what they can do because if the surrogate goes off and never responds, like the agency can't do anything about it. Like they no. can't force her to go back. Like they, it, you know, same thing with the IPs. Like, so uh, agencies have like this weird, like they're very helpful, but I feel like sometimes intended parents have like a weird, or it, I mean, surrogates too have this kind of like, they feel like the agency can do more than they actually can. Yeah. Um, um, so how do you know you have a good agency is that they have all they up they're upfront about these things it like feels like it's planned so like you know you were saying you talk to all these different agencies let's start with MJ and then we'll go to Ashley like for from a surrogacy side um, so for an intended parent how do you know you have a good agency that's such a good question um, so Facebook groups exist and that's kind of my I don't Facebook groups are are not great always, um, mm-hmm. but they are good at like sussing out what people have said about other agencies. So there is this Facebook group um, where it's just dedicated to interviewing the surrogacy agencies. Mm-hmm. No, um, reviews, reviews. So reviews, I'm sorry, <laughs> reviews, you're right, thank you. Sorry. Um, so people, people will submit reviews after they've accomplished a journey with them and like kind of give a little summary. So you could use the Facebook groups and be like, hey, blah, blah, blah. You have to use the search function first because if you don't use the search function and try yourself to search, and then you ask in the Facebook group if there if anyone has had experience, you will, you will have an admin get sassy with you and be like, did you try the search function? It's like every single time, every single time. So you have to make sure if, if, if someone is listening to this, I do not want them to get roasted on Facebook groups. <laughs> So make sure you use the search function, try to search the agency name, and if nothing shows up, make sure in your question to the group that you say that you've tried to search, you didn't find things. Do you have yes. experience with X, Y, Z? That's how, actually that's not, I didn't know about this group whenever I was researching. The way that I knew, um, I liked, they seemed professional, their website had like a uh, profile for all of their previous surrogates. Mm-hmm. So I could see who they had in the past, and they had a little bio. And it just seemed professional. And I liked that they were being a little bit more transparent about the types of women who sign up with them. It just kind of gave me more comfort. And so that was a very attractive feature for me. And I think more and more agencies are doing that. They just kind of, like, they kind of de-anonymize? No, anonymize. They they anonymize the name so you don't, like, reach out to them on the sly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. Um, Just talking to them, the kind of impression that you get. The company that I signed up for, American Surrogacy, is actually tied to a really big adoption agency as well. So they were kind of, and I and, and I think they had a good reputation, the adoption. So I just assumed that this, and my agency ended up being just fine. Like they were, mm-hmm. they were very, very, I mean, they weren't like spectacular in terms of like service provided, 
but they were definitely not as sleazy and like as the other ones that I've heard. So they were, I would give them like a B plus, like, mm-hmm. um, so, um, the teacher yeah, and so her. that, yeah, yeah, I was giving out grades, <laughs> giving out grades, um, refund policies, refund policies are, they should have some refund policies. Like when would you get a refund? Like sometimes you get a refund, like you, so agency fees are usually due in like increments, like installments. So you you pay upfront maybe $5,000 and you sign up and then they go ahead and they search for a surrogate for you. Mm-hmm. Once the matching is like, once you met the surrogate, you you, you both sign, you both like are like, okay, we're gonna match. Then you get like another payment. And then finally, I think it was at heartbeat confirmation is for me, was the third and final installment. Like the agency has done most of its work. So you guys were, so refund policy would be like, okay, what happens if a match doesn't go through? Because let's say that I match with a surrogate and she gets pregnant, um, which also does happen, even though it happened to me independently, it does happen with agencies as well. Yeah. Um, so, and um, I've, so I, I, I've heard of a few cases. Um, so then in that case, either you might get a refund for like some part of it, or they rematch you for free, or like they kind of help you find another match. That's what yeah. I Yeah, okay. I was going to just add that you want to make sure that you might be able to get a refund back if you like are waiting and waiting for however long and you don't get a match and then you find your own match independently and you decide not to use an agency, you might want to find out if that happens, will you get some of the money you've paid them back since they didn't really do anything for you at that point. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to add that to what MJ was saying. Yeah. So Ashley, from a surrogate side, a carrier side, what do you look for in an agency or maybe what should you look for in an agency? Uh, she um, has some good thoughts on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. like, how much do I want to say? Yeah. You don't um, have to censor on my account. Uh, <laughs> so we talk a lot about like, well, we try not to use the word like red flags, but we talk a lot about red flags in like an agency and what you're looking for. Like if they're offering you, if they're reaching out to a surrogate and offering some crazy amount of compensation that isn't really in the normal range for surrogates to be making, or even, a, even, you know, if it's quite, you know, if it's quite higher than what you're seeing people are asking right now, like that's a big red flag to me. Like they're overcompensating for something um if they're really pushy with you if they're like telling you we have a match for you right now we won't disqualify you for anything that's a huge red flag for me because like there are definitely surrogates who should be disqualified for certain things um if they have a lack of information a lack of reviews you know like mj was saying if you can't find other surrogates who have worked with them you know or don't have anything good to say about them that would be a red flag so i think I mean, I think it's always important to like check out their website, see what information you can find on the website, then do the Facebook group search, see if there's surrogates saying good things about them. I also think, I don't know if other surrogates care, but I also look at what intended parents are saying because I care about that too. Um, and just like, if you are talking with them, if you've already decided to like work with them, like the level of communication that they have with you, like you don't want to be forgotten. You don't want you know, to be ready to go and you're not hearing anything for however long um, and just waiting and you don't know why you're waiting. Like, that's a big red flag for me. Like, there are so many intended parents and not enough surrogates. And if a surrogate who is cleared and ready to go and wants to start is having trouble getting communicated with, that's like not a good sign to me. 
Um, and I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to know that as an intended parent either. If you've been on the wait list for a year or eight months or something like that, and you find out the surrogate has been sitting here waiting to be matched and they're not doing anything, I wouldn't want to be like an intended parent with that agency either. Um, so yeah, I guess those are just some things that, and just like follow your gut. If you're like having a conversation and it's not like with them or it's not feeling right, then it probably isn't right. Okay. And then now let's talk about matching for both sides. Let's start with the intended parent side and then let's go to the surrogate side. So MJ, as far as matching goes, like what should people, what are questions people should be asking or qualities in a surrogate or does that even matter? Like what should you be looking for? So there are guidelines that are issued by the American Society of Reproductive Medicine about what kind of woman, like what is the, what is an ideal surrogate? Mm-hmm. Um, and these are guidelines that agency, agencies should follow in fertility clinics. Like these are kind of, and they're, they're guidelines that aren't requirements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where like people, this is where people like start hating on surrogacy um, because sometimes things fall through the cracks and like, so reputable agencies and reputable fertility clinics will make sure that surrogates have at least been pregnant once before it was uneventful. Um, they have uh, a BMI between two number. I don't remember what those numbers are, mm-hmm. but they're relatively healthy. Um, they're not on government assistance. Um, so that's a, that's a big one. And they're between the ages. What? I was just going to say, um, no anxiety and depression medication. Right. That one's kind of, that one's kind of like, uh, Last. Last, like have, because sometimes it's really stringent. Like sometimes it was like they haven't been taking antidepressants for a year and antidepressants, like in this day and age, like who isn't on it? Like, you know what I mean? Like everybody's on it. So it's, it's, once you start introducing that, you're like really limiting a lot of people, but there are, there are good arguments for why you shouldn't consider, I mean, it, it goes both ways. Like, so that one's kind of a star. Um, and then are they between the ages of like 21? And then, well, maybe not. Uh, and then, forty-five or something. I forget what the, what the. But there are there are a list of things. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's like easily you can find that anywhere. Really, it's really they have it everywhere. Um, so that's kind of in terms of their medical profile or and their financial and background. Mm-hmm. You should look for. Um, and apart from that, it's kind of person specific. Like mm-hmm. some intended parents don't want. So going back to this uh, conversation we're having earlier about intended moms kind of struggling through the fact that they can't carry. So for sometimes it's really hard for them to have an open relationship with the surrogate and like communicate because the communication, she's just getting constant reminder of like what she's not able to go through. So maybe for her, it's easier to like have a closed relationship where, you know, she only gets updates like in emergencies or like big events. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that she needs to decide. And that's, you know, that's definitely possible. Um, in my case, I really wanted open communication. I wanted to have an ongoing relationship afterwards. Like I really just wanted to be like as involved as possible. Um, and I also wanted to make sure that she had a good support system. Um, and that was something that I got actually when I was, when I was 
When I was looking at surrogacy agencies, I did ask for references. So I did ask, that's pretty good. Um, I asked the surrogacy agencies to give me references that I could call and talk to. So I, I yeah. talked to other intended parents um, and they gave me their tips about how to find a good, sur or like how to find the right match. And something that they said was, that they didn't think about before was making sure that your surrogate has a good support system. And in the midst of it, whenever you're just thinking about having a baby, you, you're, you think to yourself, whatever, I don't care. But you will because, like, especially if you start feeling like, oh, she's having any issue, she needs support. Like, you know, a, a, any kind of possible, you know, a pregnancy, so many things. There are scary moments, and there's pretty mm -hmm. much a scary moment in any kind of pregnancy. Like, who is going to support her? Who's going to take her to the doctor? Like, who is going to do all of this? Like, yeah. it's so important. Um, so... That's another thing that I look that I would look for. Mm -hmm. um, so make sure you're good on communication. Make sure you're good on the support system, and and, and then make sure that you're within the ASRM guidelines. And then um, that's it. Mm -hmm. All right, Ashley. So for you, what do you look for in a match for an intended parent? Um, so for me personally, I guess I want a close relationship as well. So I look for. Um, it's very important to me that like we could get along on a friendship level because mm -hmm. it's not a business transaction for me. And I'm not saying like, it's always the hope for me or, and for a, a lot of intended parents that like the relationship can grow strong organically and that you can become close and become like family or friends or whatever. Um, but I just think it's a lot easier for me to connect with a couple or a person if I, can relate to them if we have things in common um you know if you can sit and talk because if it's if you can't it's going to be really awkward and be really hard to get to know one another um so i just think it's important to talk about whether you want a close relationship or like more you know they they say business like um basically just like a transaction um if personalities match up the communication level that you're looking for is similar um, I think it's important to talk about compensation right off the bat and make sure that your intended parents are comfortable with what you're looking for and you're comfortable with where they're at. Um, again, like MJ stated, it's not a comfortable conversation, but I think it's important, you know, especially in an independent journey, it's important to bring it up early because you don't want to like, I shouldn't say waste time, but you, you both are spending a lot of time trying to figure out if this is a good match for both of you. And one little thing could be like, oh, no more. And then you guys both just, you know, have to backtrack and redo it all. So um, that communication level is the same, that you're getting good vibes from them, that you, you know, I always like to ask how they think that they could support their surrogate. Um, and, you know, even their support system. I always ask intended parents if their family and friends are supportive of the fact that they have to go through surrogacy, um, mm -hmm. just so I know where they're at with that. Um, and then just like with an agency, if your gut isn't feeling right about something with a match, then it probably isn't right. Like you shouldn't force it because it could be really bad. Like if you, you know, for you, for your mental health, for, you know, the whole pregnancy, if you're miserable or you have a bad match. Yeah. And then, so, cause you know, some <laughs> intended parents might want like a lot of updates, <laughs> Or they might yeah. feel like, you know, so then do you talk about like what's acceptable, what's unacceptable, like don't text me at 2 a.m. about, you know, or whatever. Like, are those things stuff that you guys discuss too or, you know, that you think yeah. we should all kind of bring out into the open? Yeah, I think it's important to say like 
there, you know, I feel like I've had a couple intended parents who have said to me, like, I want to know everything. I want to have every update. And like, I'm totally the type of surrogate who would text you if I felt that the baby had hiccups in my belly or if, Mm -hmm. you know, what my cravings are, or if I felt a kick or whatever, like I'm going to update you because in my opinion, intended parents have had to miss out on so much of their own pregnancy already that I don't want them to miss a beat if I can help it. And like, obviously it's not the same, but at least knowing about it and not making them wonder, you know, and I think there are a lot of intended parents who care a lot about how their surrogate's feeling that day. If there's any new cravings, um, any new feelings, any new, like, do your boobs hurt? Do you have cramps? Like, like literally these are things that like you become so close because these are things that you wouldn't just normally have in a conversation with someone. Um, but you do, and they want to know, I mean, most of them want to know. And, um, yeah, I just think that it's important to share those things. And I think it's important to make sure that intended parents know that I'm going to share those things. And so if you don't like it, we might not be a good match because I think Mm -hmm. I would want to know those things if it were my pregnancy and I didn't have to miss them in my pregnancy. So neither should you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think it's important that they, you know, and I think like timing and like texting at two in the morning, I feel like it goes without being said, but it's also hard yeah. for like international families, you know, like my sure. intended parent from my first journey would probably text me at crazy hours, but not on purpose. And they were, yes. they tried to be careful about what time I was in and I would be careful too. But like when I went into labor with the twins, it was the middle of the night for them. Of course they wanted me to call them seven times, you know? So, yes. yes. Um, I just think there are times when those phone calls or texts late would be okay. But if you're not doing it regularly, I don't think it's something that needs to be brought up. But like, if you're waking up in the middle of the night and having to go to the hospital pregnant with someone else's baby, of course. I think they yes. would understand you're texting them at two in the morning or whatever. Yes. But yeah, I do yes. think it's something that should be discussed. Like, I'm going to communicate everything with you. And, you know, you can't just be like, you're going to like it. So yeah. you got to find out. <laughs> you got to make yeah. sure that they, they want the same thing early on. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, after delivery, too, do you ever talk about, like, what the expectation is? Like, maybe some surrogates want a picture once a year or something. Or maybe some intended parents will say, you know what, after the delivery, we're good. I don't, you know, I mean, I think these are, I mean, you know, I'm saying this as having not been through it. But I'm also saying it because I assume that some of these questions come up behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah. I, you know, I just want to bring up all the possible questions that might come up. So, you know, does this come up at all for people? Do you know if it does? Yeah, I think that, Oh yeah. Um, I think that it, you know, that's another thing that's dependent on, I've heard, we've, we've talked to surrogates who um, had an agreement to catch up, um, you know, like get a picture once a month or, even just once a year on the kid's birthday, um, they get a picture and like a little update. Um, but that's about as far as their, you know, their relationship beyond delivery goes. Um, Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We're just going to take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now back to our episode. For, or there's some that talk all the time, like me and my intended fathers from my first journey. We talk a 
few times a week. We update on each other's families. They're coming to visit me next month with the twins. Oh my gosh. Um, we're very, very close. And so I feel like, and I, he- you hear about that occasionally. Um, but you, you need like, I don't know. I think it is something important to talk about because if they're only planning to send you a picture once a year and you're that like is hurtful for you, you might want to talk to them about it. But again, it's out of your control. You know, if you promise to have this close relationship after and it doesn't work out that way, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So I, I feel like that part of the, like in terms of like after the birth, like what, what happens, it's kind of like you just see how things go. Um, and it's not really in the contract, but yeah. in terms of like what happens specifically when the baby is delivered, generally there's like, it's, it's, a, there's like a birth plan, like, okay. Um, the baby is, and I've heard this, um, there are some intended parents where the surrogate can't even see the baby. They want the baby taken to a different room immediately. Um, so like they don't even want, um, and it's not, I don't think it's the norm, um, there might be a plan where, okay, when the baby's born, the intended mom or intended father is like right next to the surrogate, ready to like hold the baby. Like they're the first one to, to hold the baby. Um, and so usually there's a, mm-hmm. there's a plan. When it happened with Jennifer, it was just kind of a mess. Cause I like, like I didn't, it, it was just like a mess everywhere. It was like overwhelming. So like, they didn't even know who to give the baby to. I was like, just give it to Jennifer. I don't know. I'm not ready. Like I was yeah. just like too overwhelmed. <laughs> and it was just like, um, but generally, I think things are like more calm. Our baby arrived early, so that's why it was a little bit of a stressful situation. Yeah, usually it's like kind of written and thoroughly discussed, like what will happen. Yeah, who's going to be in the room? Like if you're allowing them to be in the room, it, who's holding the baby first? Um, it sounds like a lot of surrogates now are writing into the contract that they want an hour alone with the baby as closure, but not like right when the baby's born. That's just something in the hospital. Um you know, who is getting this first skin to skin? Like, are you handing to um, one of the fathers specifically, one of the mothers specifically, mom or dad, whoever, surrogate? Um, it's all written into a plan. And obviously birth plans, even for outside of surrogacy, don't always go according to plan, but they try to follow it as closely as possible. And then, I mean, there's a couple of things, but before I get there, I kind of want to go back to the point that we were talking about before, Ashley, about how as a surrogate you can support an intended parent particularly if there's some uncertainty with how they're feeling about the space that they're in you know how they can be supportive particularly if there's some jealousy and that sort of thing like how do you have that conversation or how do you bring that up or what do you even say like how how does that come up like in the matching phase yeah so or even um, after like what when do you think that would come up or when do you think we should have that conversation I feel like as unfair as it is because obviously I wouldn't have this conversation if I were matching with like two dads or something I do ask intended if I'm like in the matching process with an intended mother I one of my questions might be how she like if if she can see herself being supportive of the pregnancy being involved and wanting to come to appointments and usually when you know, you ask that question, it, it kind of puts them in the position of having to think about that if they haven't yet and deciding where they might, how they might feel about that. Um, for me personally, and I can't speak for all surrogates. And again, it's totally understanding to me that an, that an intended mom might still be struggling with that, but I might have, you know, I might not match 
if they're still really in the thick of the struggle because mm-hmm. I think that just for me I would want support from my intended parents um and I would want to support them back and I would you know I understand there's always going to be a struggle but if they're still in the thick of healing from it I might not be able to move forward but if For example, if we move forward and they have coped with it, but they still have that struggle from a surrogate perspective, I would just make sure that they were included in everything. And if they asked me not to include them in everything, um, I would, you know, I would obviously have to respect that. And, um, but again, I think that would be tough for me. So I do think it's important to ask early on because Mm -hmm. like I said, I want a close relationship and I want to be able to include them in everything. And I might struggle with that a little bit, but I don't fault them for that because I totally understand it. It just might not be the right match for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that there's always space to be supportive of intended parents, even if it's two fathers, you know, um, an intended mother and intended father. I think that I always try to remind people that intended parents are missing out on so much of their own pregnancy. And I need for surrogates to understand that, like to include them to update them as much as they can because they're already missing so much and so i just think that that's important always i just wasn't sure if mj had anything like she could add to that about like i don't know thoughts about intended moms that are still coping no i mean i agree matching i feel like not a lot no i agree with you it's just i mean you you want to have that conversation asap like you don't want to wait until after yeah you know the surrogate is pregnant um and I mean, it's possible that you think that you can handle it and that it like triggers something as you're attending the appointments. Like, and it's, um, yeah. And sometimes things like, you know, things happen, you change your mind or you feel differently about something once you're confronted with it. So I also think that, um, if you think you might be having, you might have a hard time, um, coping, like maybe once you're building that relationship with your surrogate and doing those steps to like your baby with her, like, you might, that might also heal you in a way, like realizing how caring your surrogate might be, how much she wants the same end result as you do, that you both have the same goal of having like a close relationship, a healthy baby, and that she's on your side on your team, that might help with coping. And that might help you actually a lot more than you think it would. But obviously not, not the same for everyone. Yeah. And it might be that if you're struggling from the get go, that you know, usually people will recommend that you see a therapist or whatever. So hopefully you keep that therapist throughout the journey. And then maybe, yeah. you know, as feelings are coming up, you have a resource to go to, to kind of process some of this stuff. So it doesn't come out in a way that is um, negative toward anybody else involved in the process. So, yeah, you know, that might sure. be a good thing to do is just to hang on to your therapist or coach or whoever you have um, to kind of guide you through that process. If, things, feelings start to come up, but okay. So now you've made the match. <laughs> We're an hour in and we just made the match. So <laughs> we made the match. So we made the match and um, there's a couple of things to be mindful of, right? Certain States are like surrogacy friendly and certain States there are different, like sometimes there's like a birth order or something like that you need, right? So sometimes you have to like, you know, adopt a a baby or something like that. So those are some things to consider depending on what state your surrogate is in. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I do think you need a pre-birth order everywhere though, It's either pre or post. Yeah. Yeah. It's depending on the state. Okay. Yeah. And usually these things are handled by the lawyers. Um, 
So generally, you know, you match, you find a lawyer, um, and then a lawyer helps you navigate a lot of these issues. Um, so it's, it's not really much thought on your on, on either the intended parents or surrogates end. It's kind of like, okay, lawyer, tell us what to do, and we'll do it. That's kind of my sense mm-hmm, of it. Yeah. Um, there are states where you don't want to find a surrogate in, like Michigan um, and Louisiana. Um, and I think there's another one I, that's escaping me right now. And then there's other states that are like not super surrogacy friendly, but like won't exactly, I, I don't know. Um, but even in Michigan, it's possible. There was this woman that's like on Instagram um, and she just, um, her surrogate is in Michigan. Is she got her order? So. And I'm not trying to say, like, don't worry about it, because um, I don't, but that's what the lawyers are for. So It depends. Yeah. Yeah. So, if, you know, find a lawyer, see what you need to do. Um, I think it's going to be a rare situation where you can't move forward with this particular surrogate because of X, Y, Z, if she is outside, where yeah, live. If, it's, if she's outside of Michigan and the, and the few states that, like, really prohibit it. So what happens after match? First, like, so your surrogate would have to get medical clearance from your IVF clinic. So um, typically what that means is they get all your old um, medical records for birthing, like anything OB related, basically. Um, And they review all of those. And if they pre-approve you off of those records, um, then you typically will have to go to the IVF clinic, whether you have to travel there or if it's close by you um, and have like blood work done um, kind of like a full workup um, on you. And then also oftentimes your spouse also has to have it done. Um, okay. And the then surrogate spouse. you'll find out if, yes, the surrogate spouse. Okay. If, I mean, if she's, if she's married, her spouse would need to have a full medical workup as well. It's not okay. quite as extensive as the surrogates, but it's also not like super simple either. Um, and then we both have to have a psyche vow. Um, and then both meaning the intended parent and this and the surrogate, the surrogate and the surrogate spouse. Oh, okay. Got it. Did you guys have to have psyche vows? Yeah, we did. Day? Yeah. So, so they, so intended parents do. Have I, I think to. it depends on the clinic, um, so, but, um, yeah, yeah, they should. And then if you're cleared through all of, for all of that, um, then legal phase would start. What does that mean? Contracts. So that means, yep, contracts. So the intended parents would meet with their lawyer first and put together their first, the first draft of the contract. And then it would get sent over to the surrogate's lawyer who would then present it to the surrogate. They would have a meeting, discuss any changes that they want to make, anything they want to add then those changes get sent back to the intended parents. And then it just keeps going like that until everyone agrees on that final copy. Um, And then um, after that final copy is made and sent over to both parties, then basically you can start planning for the transfer, the embryo transfer and the medical, like the the contract is that thing we were talking about. Remember at the beginning, we were talking about the compensation Mm -hmm. contract. That's the contract we're talking about now. So now we're talking about how much is she going to get paid under X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. How are both people protected? Yeah. So does the agency um, provide lawyers for both or do you have to go out and find your own? They always provide suggestions and sometimes the lawyers are the same as the agency. So it's a little bit of a ethical question about when the agency and the lawyer are the same um, entity. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I don't really have an opinion on yeah. that, but I know that some people find that to be an ethical violation. Um, they want to separate these roles, but agency, there's not like a whole bunch of surrogacy lawyers. Like if they, a, a state only has like a handful really. Um, so yeah. um, they either like give you a suggestion or you just find one on your own. I, um, I went with my, so my first journey, I went through an agency and I used who they suggested. He was a dick. But I went with him anyway. I don't know why. Maybe I'm not allowed to say that. Sorry. No, you can say whatever you want. You can, you can <laughs> but, say whatever you want. This is a podcast. <laughs> um, I, I, he wasn't that bad, but I, I just like didn't vibe with his energy. Um, so then for my second yeah. journey, I was like, you know what? I'm going to find somebody else on my own. So I just went on Facebook and I was like, okay, I'm trying to find somebody. Anybody have any suggestions? And then they suggested this new, this other lawyer. And then I really like her. Um, mm-hmm. So, and it's just like, you know, you just call them up, see if you feel comfortable and then that's it. I mean, I, I honestly feel like the surrogate, like for us, it's been rather like boilerplate. Like they've done so many, let's just repeat it. Let's just have the same like bulk and let's talk about these line items and let's like, let's go. Like it doesn't involve, like, it doesn't have to be some like, you know, we don't have like these, all these like yeah and we don't have all these conditions like oh she just has to eat xyz she doesn't like we're just kind of like whatever and i'm not saying it's good i'm not saying that that's the right thing to do i'm just saying that's how we are so it was always kind of Mm -hmm. pretty easy yeah and then so same what about for you ashley do you have to find your own lawyer is that something the agency provides so if you're with an agency, the agency, like same with how MJ, they do it for intended parents. They send you a list of like, these are people that we've worked with in the past and we recommend. And then you get to look, you know, I think I got like a list of six people and I just did a quick um, little research on each one. And I picked one from there and I really liked him and he really cared about surrogates. So that worked out really well for me. Um, if you're doing an independent journey, I think it can be similar. Like, so typically the intended parents already have a lawyer if they've already started the process and then their lawyer can recommend to you, like give Uh, the surrogate a list of lawyers. Um, otherwise, you know, um, I'm pretty sure I could hire the same lawyer that I hired the first journey. And then, um, you know, you get allotted X amount of money to spend on a lawyer. And so, um, so I, nothing, you know, you would just be able to choose whoever you want to, but each, the intended parent and the surrogate have to have a different lawyer, obviously. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, so, yeah, so that's just how it works. So then you get to this contracts phase and then you, everyone agrees, everyone signs on the dotted line, you're good to go. Now the embryo transfer, what happens during that phase? Oh, that's pretty, once the legal contracts are signed and the intended parents already have the embryos, it's just a matter of organizing with your fertility clinic, schedule schedule us up, and then it just mm-hmm. is like a regular. Sorry. What she means by schedule us up is schedule the medications that the surrogate will have to take up to her up to the transfer, and then like finding out when her last you know cycle was and things like that to sync that up. Mm-hmm. That's what she means by schedule us up. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck us up, Doc. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We're ready. Yeah. So then you do the transfer, and then you have your two-week wait, right? And then you wait, and then you either take a pregnancy test or HCG or, you know, whichever one you do. And then you share the news. So is there, 
you know, whichever way it goes, is there a plan for that? Is that something that you guys discuss ahead of time? Like whenever that time comes, this is like, let me know the moment you take it or we should, you know, FaceTime me or whatever. Like, is that something you guys talk about? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's dependent. So, um, there are some intended parents who don't want their surrogates to test at home prior to the beta or the HCG test. Mm -hmm. Um, like they just don't want to know until the numbers are in. Um, Mm -hmm. but then there's a lot of other intended parents who, you know, will purchase pregnancy tests for their surrogate and are like test on the first day that you can (laughs) and test every second until that beta. Um, because a lot of the time they're anxious and, um, Mm -hmm. I think it's also helpful. I think a lot of surrogates have a really hard time in that two week wait too. Um, And I think that it would basically like anxiety would probably kill us if we weren't able to take some sort of a test just to know um, one way or the other, obviously um, beta or HCG test is always going to be more definitive, but Mm -hmm. it just kind of helps ease the nerves. And um, I think the two week wait is a really scary time for both sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously more so for the intended parents, but surrogates are just as hopeful for them to get that positive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So transfer, let's be super positive. It's successful. What happens after that? Is Does the agency leave the picture at that point or? No, the agency is always there. They're there until like delivery after two weeks after even after delivery like even like they have to be there when all like the medical uh, the medical claims have to be cleared like all that stuff too so they have to like oh gotcha okay um yeah after that the yeah they go back one more time for heartbeat confirmation for the fertility clinic Mm -hmm. and then they graduate and then you graduate I think it's very much like a other IVF like thing. You have to go back, and then once mm-hmm. you and you graduate, then you go to your regular OB, and then you're just kind of taken just like mm-hmm. that. So everything in that way, it's all the same. The agency here is just like this is where I have no idea. Like the agency is really not around here unless there's like an issue. Mm-hmm. Then they reach out, but they're like pretty much like yeah, they'll check in once in a while if it's a good agency, yeah. but. And so who's OB, like who selects the OB? Does the intended parent say like, I want you to go to my OB or does, oh, okay. Okay. They go to, um, typically you'll go to your, the surrogate will get to go to her normal OB. Um, and it's whatever's convenient for the surrogate. Same with where you're delivering. Um, Mm -hmm. you deliver at the surrogate's hospital with the Mm -hmm. surrogate's OB. Um, I think maybe there's times where this is different, but it's very rare and it would have to be agreed upon beforehand, but that's generally how it would, how it works. And then, so we talked a little bit about this. There are things that you kind of talk about for the delivery, how you plan for the delivery, Mm -hmm. what happens after the delivery. So, um, you know, we talked about the whole, uh, was it pre or post birth order? And then, you know, whether Mm -hmm. or not there needs to be an adoption or anything like that. And then the first skin to skin. Is there anything else that people need to think about as far as the delivery goes or things that they should have a conversation about? Uh, delivery, the, the, I think the hospital is actually a big one because I think a lot of times surrogates like deliver, they may be delivering in a hospital without a NICU. And for them, it's just kind of natural because they've had an easy, they've had at least a one easy birth. Uh, but for the intended parents with their trauma, and like kind of their kind of mindset of something is always going to go wrong. They might prefer to deliver at a NICU 
uh, a hospital with a NICU. So that's kind of probably one thing to talk about um, for sure. And I'm sure it comes up a lot. Um, or what kind of level NICU you have, at least. I don't know if there's like a threshold. Um, so that's one. That's yeah. probably the most important one, I think. Um, yeah, I also think it's important to, um, they make, you can either make your own or they make them on Etsy or whatever signs that you can put up in the hospital room and on the hospital door that the woman that's pregnant is a surrogate. Um, that way, um, you know, they know, and then like they can ask questions. So you can tell them these are the parents. If there's any serious questions about baby after the baby's born, um, this is who you'll talk to, not to the surrogate, because it can be very hurtful for the intended parents to not have those questions directed at them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it's something to do with the surrogate herself, her spouse or her support person is usually there to have her back on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they know who they're going to be handing the baby to when it's delivered and things like that. Um, I think it's important to have those signs or just to have that talk with your medical team when you get 100%. there. Yeah. And then the, the IPs usually have their own room, like next door to the surrogate, usually. Oh, OK. OK. Um, and so for both of you, and then maybe we can start with MJ, is there something that you want people to know that you wish you had known your first go around? Like, is there something that like, oh, man, I wish I would have thought of this sooner or if I, I wish I would have known about this sooner um, that I kind of learned about later on that would be really beneficial? Yeah, it really pays to be open with your story. Like if um, if you're looking for a surrogate, even if you sign with an agency, agencies these days, it's like really hard to find a surrogate to begin with. And like, if you sign up with an agency, don't be surprised if you have to wait like a year or they tell you the wait time is a year before you're even matched with the possibility. Um, so the wait mm-hmm. times are long. So the, the obstacle here in any surrogacy journey is finding a, a surrogate that is like, by far, number one, the hardest thing. And a reason why agencies are so expensive is because finding a surrogate is so hard. So basically the the whole process is very inefficient. And what they're doing is they're putting that cost, they're they're pushing that cost down to the IPs. So when you see this fee of $25,000, it's kind of encompassing like how hard it is to find a surrogate. Um, So, if you want to try to find one, if you want to find one, find one quickly. You have, you're going to have to do it yourself. So, um, and the best way to do that is to be open with your story. Um, create a Facebook post. Ask your friends to share it. A, a video. video. Make it engage. Like kind of like really pull at the emotions. Like it's kind of like a marketing situation. Like you kind of the ideal surrogate is one who wants to do it for the the couple that has this, you know, and that a lot of them are like that. And yeah, it's nice to be compensated. Again, this is where I'm speaking. Ashley can tell me that I'm outside of my lane, but like, but they want to be, but you need to like, you have to like show and tell your story and you kind of have to be a storyteller. You have to do it, Mm -hmm. do that in a good way. So, um, so the best way that you can, um, and then use Facebook, use TikTok, use Instagram, like, and you have to be vulnerable. It's, you know, and I know some people are not ready for that and it's hard, but that's kind of the reality is if you want somebody who wants to do this for you out of the goodness of their heart and um, you, they have to know about you. Um, and so, yeah. and there are, there are a lot of women, um, I was talking to somebody last night and 
she mentioned um, that she had gone through the, the news, like the news had covered her story. And I've, I've heard this a, a, a few times from intended parents that the news will cover it. And um, they were talking about how they um, were looking for a surrogate and they got like 24, they got a whole bunch of women reach out to them and be like, oh, I would love to consider this. I've always thought about it, but I didn't even know where to start. And so like they see this story, they're yeah. like, okay, that, that that's like my, it's like a sign for me that this might be something. So like, let me explore it. And I think a lot of women who right. think about being a surrogate do it in this way. They just kind of wait to see. And they don't, they're not active in like, I'm gonna join an agency or I'm gonna like, cause they just didn't think about it. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I would, and that's, and it's really powerful. And so being open is, I think, the best way to find a surrogate. And then how about you, Ashley? What, like, what are some things that you wish you had known, you know, your first go around or before you go first go around? Cause you had a pretty positive first experience, but, um, what do I you did, think? but what I, are some, yeah. I always just say that I wish that I had been more educated about surrogacy before I just signed up to be a surrogate. Um, when I first signed up, I knew very, very little about surrogacy and everything that it entailed. Um, and I signed with an agency that was near me, but I like I never went there. But um, I got very lucky that they talked me through every step of the journey, that my first match was amazing, that I love them, that they got pregnant with twins. Um, right. You know, first try, like everything just went really, really well. We had no crazy hiccups, no disagreements, nothing. But that's not always the case and if I hadn't been you know if I hadn't been that lucky and as uneducated as I was about surrogacy the first time I would have been screwed like mm -hmm. um hearing about other surrogates and they, how their journeys went like I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had the information I have now then if something had gone wrong so I just always tell surrogates to do their research um make sure I mean obviously follow the biggest ass <laughs> but yeah, like learn everything. <laughs> yeah I mean that should be your first step. But, um, <laughs> um, but I just think you should be educated a little bit more before you sign up because it's, it's, you know, it's a big process. Like you don't just sign up and then tomorrow you're a surrogate. Like there's a lot of things that go into it. Like I said, psyche valves, doctor's appointments, travel, um, legal. Like there's just so many steps that you would have never imagined would have been part of the process. And, um, it can be time consuming for yourself, for your family. Um, my wife had to take a lot of time off work for my surrogacy journey. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a lot. And it's a lot. Um, and here's I'm the thankful thing. that I, I don't, did it. It's a lot, but it, it is not to the point where it's overwhelming that you can't figure it out yourself. See, that's yes. kind of the thing agencies yeah. do. So yeah. They, they try to like, yeah. they try to argue that it's so complicated and it's this and that, and it is, there are complex parts to it, but it's not like. But if you educate, yeah, you can do if you it. If you can understand the process, yeah. and that's kind of another thing. Um, that's another thing that yeah. I wanted to say is that it's not, you can understand how it works and you can, but you, you have to be it. honest with yourself. Are you a difficult person to deal with? Like, are you, um, are you good with communication? Could you have tough conversations? Do you need a helping hand? Like, and just many people aren't honest with themselves, I feel like. So they think they can do it independently, but then like it's a mess because they don't know how to communicate. So, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and then I just wanted to add on for what I would tell intended, wish I, what I wish intended parents knew because I saw that on yeah. your sheet. Um, and I wanted to like add on to what MJ was saying. Like it, there is a big difference between getting like, for example, um, when I posted that I wanted, I was in a uh, surrogate looking for intended parents. There's a big difference between how I would react to a message that told me a big part of their story right off the bat. Like, hello, introduce yourself. Here's a little bit about our story that led us to surrogacy. Here's what we're looking for in a surrogate. That was way more appealing to me than like, hey, are you available? Want to chat about surrogacy? Like, or I want a surrogate, like things like that. There's like, and maybe they have good intentions after that first message, mm -hmm. but the likelihood of me getting 50 messages and the ones I'm going to respond to are going to be the ones that tell me the story, the ones that pull me in, the ones I feel pulled to. Um, and like MJ said, there's people, there's so many women who had never thought about surrogacy and then hear one person's story and then they're ready to be a surrogate or they want to carry for that specific person. And so telling your story can be very, very beneficial for you. Um, so we have a couple of questions submitted. So the first question, and I don't know that you have the answer to this <laughs> because I think that this is a difficult question to answer in all aspects of reproduction, but how do you make it more affordable? How do you make the surrogacy journey more affordable? <laughs> independent. Yeah, independent and finding a surrogate on your own. And um, yeah, I mean, just... It's still going to cost... I mean, it's still expensive, but you can save a lot of money by doing independent and finding your own surrogate. Yeah, you can. It's, it's, it's such a tough question because also you don't know what might happen. Like you don't know how, how easily the, the surrogate is going to get um, pregnant. And then every transfer, mm -hmm. their IVF fees, like you're paying your clinic, your fertility mm -hmm. clinic, all those fees because it's not covered by insurance. Like I have, I have insurance yeah. that covers infertility benefits, but it does not cover anything related to the gestational carrier. So you got to pay for all that. But you can't know. You don't know going in, like, how many times is it going to take for her to get pregnant? And then once she's pregnant, what happens if she has to get a C-section? What if there's bed rest? Those are all additional expenses. So, I mean, there's an upper limit, but still that limit is pretty high. So by eliminating the agency, you may be able to save, like, 20, 30 grand, which is a lot of money, which is great. Yeah. Um I suppose you could save some money too if you branch out and like were to ask family, like cousins, aunts, like that's not always the case, but we've seen it a lot. We've seen moms be the, be surrogates for their daughters. We've seen aunts, yeah. cousins, you know, um, and they may not want a compensation from you since their family. I'm not going to say they won't always, but they yeah. may not. And then that can save you the sero comp and you would just have to reimburse for medical expenses that could be a lot cheaper as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what can be expected for average surrogate compensation, like base? I would say 30 to 40, uh, 20, maybe 25 to 45,000. Depends. Is like most rough common. Base. It goes up. Yeah. It goes. So like, um, most first time surrogates can ask anywhere from like 20. I mean, you can ask whatever you want. So yeah. I just want to preface that you, a surrogate can ask whatever she wants. She could ask for zero. She can ask for a hundred thousand. Like she could ask yeah. for anything, but, um, the general guideline, um, for a first time surrogate is usually somewhere between 25,000 and like 35,000. 
and then it goes up each time that you're you know you're a surrogate like so a second journey you would be able to ask a little bit more because you're experienced Mm -hmm. um and so on and so it goes up from there but that's like the general range and if she has insurance that would cover a surrogacy journey that's another big thing about medical insurance like those who surrogate have medical insurance that would cover a surrogacy journey um so that's a whole other field because if she doesn't the intended parents need to buy that from the um, marketplace and so that's an additional 10 which can cost 10 to 15 grand for that insurance so that's another that's another thing okay and then another question is how many times can you be a surrogate so it's usually like what five pregnancies but that counts your your own too so um for example i have two keepers and then i had um twins for my first um journey so technically i could probably only be a surrogate two more times um depending on how you know the net you know obviously things are you're never sure but um i feel like most fertility clinics stop approving after like five to six pregnancies and is there a wait time between the pregnancies like do you have to wait a certain amount of time yeah um i my my ob recommended that i waited at least a year um but i had a c-section with the twins um my agency was reaching out to me like two weeks after i had the twins asking if i was ready for a second journey which i felt very insulted by um but I mean, I think they also take into consideration that you're starting the whole process over again. So you're going to have to be matched and you're going to have to, you know, it's, you're not going to be pregnant right away either, but, um, I don't know if, I guess, do you know, MJ, if there's like an actual specific time you have to wait or. I think so. Um, I mean, there, there is, I think the guideline is six months, but I think, I think, uh, agents, good agencies, uh, push for 12. Yeah, my OB pushed for at least a year. Yeah, I think. But I wasn't yeah, trying to. I wasn't trying to do it right away either. I just like told her I might do another journey, and she said, "Can you wait till the twins are at least a year?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, now they're almost three, so." Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and then another question is about language. So um, this one's asking about like the the right language to use for a surrogate and for an intended parent when you're talking about, like, let's say, like you said, at the, um, when you're delivering, you have a sign on the door and says, you know, talk to the surrogate about this, talk to the dependent parents about this. So, you know, and then when you referenced earlier, you said, you know, their pregnancy, their baby, when you were referencing your fathers, your intended fathers in Switzerland. Uh-huh. So what's, what's appropriate language wise to use so that you're, being respectful to both the surrogate and the intended parent. That's such a good question. Um, yeah, I think surrogate is like the most common thing used um, for a surrogate and the most, or like gestational carrier or GC people say, but like, I feel like gestational carrier is just such a mouthful um, that sometimes surrogate covers it. But at the same time, sometimes it's more clear that you're not a traditional surrogate if you say gestational. Yeah. Um, in my case, the twins call me Zia, which is for auntie. That was something the father said um, they wanted them to call me, which was such a blessing. But um, to other people, like when I'm talking to you guys, when I'm talking on The Biggest Ask, I refer to them as intended fathers. But when I was like talking to them or in my everyday life, they were just like the papas, the dads. Like I didn't use intended. Um, 
as much as I do when I'm like, like, I don't like to say that, but I feel like it just clarifies it a little bit better. But like, um, the surrogate is not the mom is like the biggest thing that I want like people to understand. And, um, I think surrogate covers it or, um, carrier. I, I don't, I don't think there's anything really you could say. I I mean, or the oven, (laughs) I don't like, think it's like, you know, and then the parents are the mom and dad or dads or I don't know. What do you think, MJ? Same. Same. Um, yeah. I know that language, I know that sometimes people get really, um, they can get hurt by if, if the if the language isn't right. So I know that sometimes uh, intent, there are some intended moms that don't like the term intended mom because of the word intended, like, oh, it's supposed to be. Um, and personally, I'm fine with it as long as it doesn't insult. I'm not insulted by it. So for me, I'm fine with it. And I'm okay to use any term for the surrogate as long as it's not insulting to her um, Mm -hmm. in terms or just generally, sometimes people call them surro moms. And we have called Jennifer our surro mom before. And I I know that there is a bunch of intended parents that also don't like that term because there's the word mom in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, I don't like to use the word like oven or like- Yeah, no. Yeah. I say that jokingly. I no, no, but jokingly. I know. I mean, it's not, but I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to like get into Like it, it's to me, it's so much more than, and it's more than an eight. Like I just, I call her the surrogate mom because what she is doing for us is so powerful. And unfortunately yeah. there is not another, I mean, surrogate is in itself a power. So I, she's our surrogate. Like, so that's kind of something I'm more likely to use that than surrogate mom. Actually, Seth ends up using surrogate mom a lot more, which is fine. I mean, I, I, it, I'm not super, passionate about it, but I understand and respect that other people might. And I, I understand where it comes from, but personally I'm, I'm fine as long as nobody's offended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the next question is for Ashley. Um, okay. is it difficult after the birth to part with the baby? I think this probably no. comes up for a lot of people. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, no, it wasn't hard. Um, And I know that can sound crazy to some people who have never done it because it's very hard to understand how you could nurture, you know, the, this baby or these babies, um, for nine months in your belly and deliver them and, um, be okay with them not being with you. Um, but it's just so different than your own children. And the only way I can explain it, the best way I found to explain it is I feel very much for my sir, like the Sero twins the way I feel for my nieces and nephews. I love them with my whole heart. I care for them. I worry about them. I think about them. Um, but I don't feel like a piece of my heart or my arm is missing if my, if they're not here, like I would my own children. Um, and, um, when you see them with the intended parents, with the parents that have been waiting for them for so long, I mean, there's no other feeling than like just complete happiness. It's the best feeling in the world. It makes everything you went, you know, you went through for this so worth it. Um, that was the whole reason for it. Like you see it all come together when the babies are in the like their rightful parents' arms, and there's you know there there's no way to be sad about that. Um, so yeah, so I guess the best way to explain it is just like. I love them. I care about them, but not the same way I do my own, my own kids. 
Um, okay, and for MJ, are you worried about bonding with your children um, using a, a surrogate? No. Um, it's because bonding is like very subjective. There are a bunch of women who are pregnant with their own child that do not really feel the bond. Like there's this narrative that we say that like women just bond with their child in utero and it's like a huge, like a big bonding, the whole pregnancy is a bonding experience. And of course that is the reality for some women, but there are also some women where, you know, it's just kind of like, they don't have that bonding and it doesn't happen until after the birth. And that like, you know, by like continually interacting with the baby and like feeding, and this is how their bond is. That is the kind of person that I am. I need to constantly interact with a, with some something in order to develop that bond. I did not develop a bond with my first son. Um, it, it, it didn't it didn't feel you know um, it wasn't until he was outside that it started. You know what I mean? It's like I was dealing with my my own set of issues. I was I was sick. I was I couldn't I couldn't think straight. Um, so. Um, I do not worry about that at all. And in fact, I really enjoyed the surrogate, the surrogacy because I bonded with this, uh, our son and so through our surrogate. So I just, you know, by, by, um, making her food and by like checking up on her, by developing this bond with another woman, it, to me, I really, it's a really special experience. It's not something that many people get to have. I really honored that. And like with surrogacy, you just have the choice. Do you make this like something special or do you just make it like a means to an end, like just for a baby? And for me, I just decided this is a blessing. I'm going to make this an experience. Like I'm really going, and, and that's how I bonded with the baby. And I'm really proud of it. I mean, and this is, I know a question that comes up that other people who are not in the circle will come up with. And I'm sure you guys have heard of this on your Instagram too. But like, you know, people wonder whether or not the surrogate's going to keep the baby and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I know, I know, I know. And like anyone who understands or heard your story, Ashley, understands that you really do it for the sake of helping, you know, another person become a parent. So can you speak to that just so we can lay that to rest? If anyone's <laughs> hearing it straight from the surrogate's mouth, like this of is course. how you feel about Tell it. Ashley, yeah. of course. <laughs> We just did a post about this yesterday. Surrogates do not want to keep your babies. First of all, most of the time surrogates are done with building their own family first. Second, that is a huge thing that we think about and talk about and like just really come to peace with before we ever even sign up to do this journey. Like we, this isn't our baby. We're not going to keep this baby. We hear from so many people who know like me, especially I'm baby crazy. I could pick up a baby off the street and fall in love with it. And like, nurture it till the day I die. And so people were like, you can't do this. You're not going to be able to do that. You're going to fall in love and you're not going to be able to do it. And I'm like, watch me because <laughs> I know this. I want to do this for somebody. And I know other people deserve to be parents just as much as I do and a lot of other parents. And so um, it's definitely something that we know in our minds, like this is not our baby. This is not our child. Um, and when I would talk to my belly, I was saying, your papas are going to be so excited to meet you. Like, 
And when my wife would talk to my belly, she would be telling them all about their papas and what they were doing that day that they told us they were doing that day. And, you know, like it was never like how it is with your own child. Like you tell your own stories to your own baby in your belly or you, you know, you develop your own thing. But like the whole time, it's never yours. You never talk about it like it's yours. You never act like it's yours. So when it comes and it's not yours, it's okay. Like, you know, you're thankful that you did this for these other people. Like surrogates just don't, that's never, ever the intention. Like they don't want your baby. Like your baby's cute, but we don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like totally. it's yes. just, it's, fr- it's frustrating, but I mean, I, I mean, I can, I can understand. They don't have a lot of bad things to say about surrogacy. So they have to pick one thing. <laughs> well, I know why. So the reason why I think the reason why this narrative exists is because um, before back in the day, there's, there was more traditional surrogacy right. where yeah. the surrogate was actually the, the egg, like she was getting yes. the egg. Yes. So in that case, there was, there was a lot more, controversy and a lot more yeah, yeah that, in that case that was different but these yeah. days we're talking mostly about gestational care like gestational surrogacy yeah. so really i mean it's so rare that you find a situation where a surrogate is like and of course but they, i mean there are like there are surrogates to talk about like the like the transition after being pregnant and like the hormones and stuff and dealing with that that's that's still very real but it's not about like wanting to keep the baby. Um. No, I had an emotional day after I had the twins and it was more. um, So the intended fathers were staying with us and their babies. Um, We told them to forget the Airbnb and like, just stay at our house because they already had enough expenses and everything else. Not that they brought that up, but we just knew. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were trying to prove to me and my wife that they could do it without us. Like they, they didn't want us to think that, we like did this journey with them and that they needed our help with the babies. So they didn't, they were very much trying to prove that to me and I wanted to help and they weren't letting me help because they wanted to prove it to me. And then I came in my room and I like cried to my wife. I'm like, why won't they let me help? Like, I just want to help and show them that I'm here to help them. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was like my biggest like emotional breakdown. But then I like talked to them and I said, I know you guys can do this, but you're tired and I'm here to help until you leave. So just let me help. And then we kind of came to an understanding, but um, I never felt emotional about not having the babies, but I also had a toddler. So (laughs) (laughs) that kept me busy. So, um, but I never like had an emotional feeling of like I had babies and now they're not here. I just Mm kind of had that moment of like, let me help. But that was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe too, it comes from, the I don't want to say mindset but kind of like you kind of know Mm -hmm. in your head going into it and I bring this up because there's some argument out there too and I think it's worth bringing up because you know some people who use egg donors who carry their egg donors or who carry you know their babies but use egg donors they worry about not connecting or not having but I think too the mindset is a little bit different when you use an egg donor because you've that that egg has been donated to you and that is now, you know, part yours. of yours. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a couple of things cause I think this will come up and some people will say, well, like, you know, if um, someone who has an egg donor and carries that baby and then that's their baby, how does that, how is that different than say surrogacy? But I think too, where, where your head is 
for each of these experiences is different. And I, so I think mm-hmm. that that makes the experience and what you feel afterwards different too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm no expert. This is just, you know, my thoughts on no, all yeah. of this for what it's worth. Yeah. And it's from, so I just wanted to add another thing I've heard from surrogates is that they actually struggled less with coming home after delivering surro babies because they didn't have a newborn to take care of on top of healing from a delivery. Like you're really worrying about yourself and like, you get to rest and sleep and you know, whatever, like you're not having to also take care of a newborn. So a lot of surrogates are like, are you kidding me? I loved it. I loved not coming mm-hmm. home with the baby, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, we've been there, we've done that and now we didn't have to. And so I, I just wanted, that's something I wanted to add, but yeah, mindset is a huge part of it. All of it. Yeah. And in another episode, I talked to an intended mom and she had a similar thing about that, but the opposite end, she said, as the mom coming home with the baby and not having gone through the delivery, she's like, I could put all of my attention into the baby. I could put Mm -hmm. all of my energy into the baby and I didn't have to worry about healing from a delivery too. So I think from both ends, yeah, I I think that she, she felt that it was beneficial for her to having, and she had kind of the same mindset as you MJ, where, you know, she was kind of like, you know, this is what I have to do and this is where I am. And, you know, I have no worries. I mean, you know, a little bit, but like, she was just like, you know, I, this is what we're doing. And I actually found the silver lining in that I didn't have to worry about all of this. I could go to work and do my normal thing at work. And it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, so I, I think too, sometimes not that, you know, we have to, cause there is such a thing as like toxic positivity where we're like, you know, yes. just always look at the bright side. But I think there are some things at least coming from intended parents too, that say, Hey, there, there are some good things to come out of this that we can recognize. And it's okay to say these things. It's, it's not meant to be, you know, insulting or in any way mm-hmm. um, like that, but you know, there are some benefits to this and maybe that means you can focus more on your baby afterwards, even though yes. you feel that this thing has for some people feel like they've been robbed of this experience or whatever, for those who feel like all they ever wanted to do you know, as a kid, right. And now they can't. So they may feel like they've been robbed from this experience, but you know, we can also reframe a portion of that, not to minimize Mm -hmm. that pain, not to minimize that experience, but that, you know, there are some silver linings and this may be one of them. Can you think of any others Mm -hmm. MJ that you think would be good for some of these folks? Other than the ones that you mentioned about going to work and being healthy and, um, depending on how the journey goes, just adding more love in your life. Like mm-hmm. you will never find an, you will never find anybody in your entire life that will do as much as this person is doing for you. Like this mm-hmm. potential stranger, like carrying a child is no, is no small feat. Like we all, we all understand that that is a huge thing. And so I don't think there's any, like, it's hard to find a friend who will do it. It's hard to find yeah. a family member who will do it. Like even ones that like are, have all that check all the boxes. Yeah, it's a huge gift. And so kind of really, I mean, that's a huge, I mean, and and if you understand that as a gift and yes, there's money involved and yes, that, you know, but don't, those are actually not important. I mean, there's many, like we've, we broke down the compensation of surrogates and it's like $5 an hour. It's like very not, it's not, it's not a reason to do it. Um, uh, Surrogates don't do it for the money um, is what I'm saying. So it's really, it's just a really nice thing. Um, so it's just a matter of, can you switch your mind to like honor and like 
really be grateful for that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the other things were awesome too. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I absolutely love that I can live my life and like not be sick and like, you know, as long as our surrogate feels good too. I mean, at the moment yeah. that she starts feeling any kind of pain that I did, then that's like whenever I just feel really guilty and that's not mm. the point. The, the point is yeah. not to outsource my my issues to somebody else. It's yeah. the point no. is here's a person who has shown, demonstrated that she gets pregnant easily and deals with it just fine, right? Mm. So then why, why does she just kind of, you know, carry my child? And then we both are like, you know, relatively healthy living, you know, and then that's kind of the, the frame of mind. But the moment that she starts or would start feeling terrible is the moment where it's not a, a I feel really bad. And it's, it wasn't a great situation because that's not the, the point. You know, you find someone who has so much generosity in their hearts that they are, you know, willing to give their body to you for 10 months to help you build your family. And like, who wouldn't want an additional lovely person like that in their life? So, you know, I think that that, I assume that's your point. I'm, yes, that's what it I is. Gather. Thank you. And it's much better. <laughs> Thank you for making that much better than I did. But yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, so, and, and I think too, I think that's important to stress too, that, um, you know, you can't speak for everyone, obviously, but the yeah. majority of the surrogates out there do this because they feel calling in their heart and in their mind to help another family grow. Um, and I think that that's like the biggest thing to kind of talk about too, is that it's not, you know, that I, I think sometimes, you know, because it's so expensive and because it's so, so hard to find and because there's all this legal stuff that comes into play, I think it's hard to say, you know, to keep that in mind. But the reality is you have to protect both parties. There are things that come up and you don't want one person to be affected negatively in any way because of it. So these are all protections for both sides. And just to get that out of the way and just say, all right, this is all said and done. And then, you know, you can move on to whatever relationship you want to have. And that a lot of these people are just so generous and so open um, to giving this part of themselves so that, you know, other people can grow their families, which they would not be able to do otherwise, you know, or at least right. would have a much harder time doing and so I think that's important so I, I want to thank you both for sharing your sides of your stories and to share that experience with everyone and particularly who are you know even in the beginning middle end of their journey it's nice to hear some of these things because you know because I, I think when you look at the numbers like nationwide um, domestically the number of people actually using surrogates isn't a lot because it's it doesn't happen it's not like you know uh, the ivf numbers are much larger in general period yes. but then once you drill down into the number of people using surrogates it's not very many but i think it's important to talk about it because there's not a lot of people and that's why i think your account is such an important account to kind of focus on too is because you share both sides and someone might have a question for a surrogate that they're afraid to ask their own surrogate or something like that and there's uh -huh. some safety in anonymity, right? And you're like, well, Ashley doesn't yeah. know who I am. Ashley, I have this question for you, <laughs> you know? like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? So yeah. Uh, I think that that's good. Um, so thank you guys so much for doing that. And then if people want to follow you, if they have questions for you or, you know, anything like that, can you tell us about your account, what you guys do on there, um, and how people can connect with you? Uh, sure. So our Instagram account is at the biggest ask. We also have a website that um, anyone can use, and it's um, it's to educate on the process. 
So it's a free um, website and we have online video modules um, that people can watch. And it's just basically more of the educational part of it. Um, it's not about our stories or anything. It's just kind of like, what do you, what are all the steps that you need to take? Um, and our Instagram account is a little bit more emotional. Like we kind of share stories and we show, we, um, we also do have some educational posts, but it's kind of more of a mix of mm -hmm. common misconceptions, reels. We try to be funny, um, <laughs> kind of things. Um, and sometimes we try. we try to be, we try, we try yeah. To, we, yeah, try is a very, yeah. Is, <laughs> yes. I always fail at it. So I like, we're, oh yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out how to be influencers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, MJ also has a book out on Amazon. Oh, thank Kindle. you. Yes. She has a book out and it's, um, talks about, you know, the United States process for surrogacy. Um, she really took everything she learned and put it in there and put her heart and soul into it. So oh, check it you, out. Ashley. She's my marketing manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I didn't say that because of that. <laughs> I know, I know. What's the, what's the title of the book? Um, what's the... Oh, The Biggest Ask. Um, oh, okay. A Guide to Surrogacy of the U.S. So basically it just takes my video modules and it just I it's just in book form. So it's just like easier to read it. I'm like, you know, if you don't want to watch videos. And you just want to skip to parts and stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. No, that's great. And then do you guys, yeah. um, so you guys will take questions on your account. Oh, like yeah. I, mm -hmm. they can DM you or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Of Wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. I hope you guys will come back in the future. Give us an update on your second sur yes. surrogacy journeys and, um, and then for you, MJ too, your journey and um, kind of what that experience has been like. And then, if there's any additional tips you add as you kind of learn along the way, I'd love to hear more of it. I'm sure other people will too. But I want to thank you guys for being here, for sharing your story, for making this wonderful resource for so many people who I think may feel lost and hopefully extend to more possible or potential surrogates who might want to do this for other families. Yes. Yeah. The benefits <laughs> that it can yes. bring to so many people. Yes. So thank you guys so much for doing this. And um, we'll connect us. soon. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you so much. much. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes, and I hope to see you back again soon. Bye.